is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by this son of York. And all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean, buried. Hi, I'm Tom Stewart at WNET in New York, and this is WNET Up Next we take you behind the scenes of what's happening here and help you get to know the people who make it all possible. With us today is David Horn, the award-winning producer and director of many of WNET's performing arts programs, notably as the executive producer of great performances. Actually, David is in charge of all performance and arts programming here at WNET. And when we spoke with him about a year ago, we didn't have time to talk about an area he's particularly passionate about, namely theater and Shakespeare. So today he's back on our stage to fill us in about some exciting programs coming your way soon. So should I say, what ho, or... Uh, Brush up your Shakespeare. Brush up your Shakespeare. Okay, we let's can do, do our, it. We can do our bit later. Well, you know, well, we'll, 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 we can ease into that. Because on podcast, you can't see us dance, right? I know, but you can. the imagination does, does wonders with those things. Okay. Before I get into the Wars of the Roses, which we really want to focus on today, mm -hmm. I want to ask you about your love of Shakespeare and your passion for Shakespeare and how that's been combined with your professional life here, not only in this project, but in other projects in the past. Well, you know, I'm really not a Shakespeare expert. My background is primarily music. But when I first came to the station back in the 70s, we were involved in bringing all of the uh, Shakespeare plays to television that were taped by the BBC. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a big inauguration for me and was a, was a very big deal. And back then, we were doing, as part of great performances, going back in time to Theater in America, mm -hmm. which was a precursor to great performances. And that was essentially taking plays and reimagining them in a studio, you know, re rehearsing them, reblocking them, and then shooting them so they look more like a teleplay or soap opera in style. In fact, Theater in America was a place where many great artists got their first television exposure. Dustin Hoffman, John Lithgow, Meryl Streep, people like that. And ultimately, Theater in America was absorbed in the great performances. And in great performances, not only did we do all the Shakespeare plays, we were doing things like most people don't realize that Brideshead Revisited was great performances. We had, you know, real film drama like that in, in great performances. But we always, in addition to drama from literature, like the idea of having a place for American drama, and that's why we focused on theater. So ultimately, we spun off a series that some of our older viewers might remember called American Playhouse. Absolutely. And that was a place where, you know, made-for-television drama could really happen. And it became more independent film in its lifetime and, you know, got bigger. And therefore, because it got bigger, involved film studios, it became more cumbersome. Mm -hmm. So a lot of American drama did uh, disappear from public television for a while. And as our viewers love and note that we do have, including Shakespeare, we, we do like British drama on public television. So one of the things that is important to me is to try to get America drama on. And we're in this era where I believe, I think last year, 
there were it's a golden era. There were 460 scripted dramas. So how do you compete in that kind of world, being in public television? And I think theater is the place, and particularly in our market here at 13. Does the title Theater Close-Up apply to where we're going? Yeah. So Theater Close-Up was really us deciding to go back to the future, to the early roots of taking off-Broadway regional productions. But instead of bringing them into the studio, we're, we've, we're shooting them. In you're, front going, of, you're going to the theater In front of an audience because it's where a lot of young, interesting playwrights are developed, or in some cases, we have classic plays that you might not have ever seen, like from an Arthur Miller. We all know the major pieces that are often done, but we had an opportunity to do Incident at Vichy. It was a tremendous cast. A Buried Child, a play by Sam Shepard, his mm-hmm. Pulitzer Prize-winning play that was never done, and Ed Harris and Amy Madigan and that. So we're doing this in a grassroots sort of way, and we're hoping and we're discussing with PBS now to bring this uh, next year to a national audience. Because right now it's been exclusively uh, a WNET 13 uh, production. Correct. You know, we've taken the risk. Neil Shapiro, the president of the station, sees more plays than anybody. <laughs> he is, a, and I never realized that until a couple of years ago when he had this idea. It was his idea that he was such a play junkie. He sees practically everything. I think that's how he met his wife. Okay. We, I'll have <laughs> but to, we won't go I'll have to ask Neil that when, yeah. if he would like to come in and, and, and speak yeah. with us at some point. But I so, so Theater steer, Close-Up is right? really strong. It's It's been on for two years about, Correct. I think. We've done about 18, and we've, in, in the two and a half years we've been doing it, we've done 18 plays, and we've got a couple that we're looking at that are upcoming. And since I'm promising everybody Shakespeare, but before we get to Shakespeare, another program that you're very much involved with here is NYC Arts. And NYC Arts is having a great celebration, I believe, on December 13th. And could you touch on that a bit? Yes. We uh, were approached by the programmer here at 13. Wouldn't it be great, since you guys have been on about six years now, to just do a two-hour special? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be on in the holiday season. And we do have a couple of holiday topics, but in an NYC art sort of way where we're going to go to the Morgan to look at the original Christmas Carol, and we've got a feature on an origami Christmas tree, but the rest is basically what we do. Uh, A piece on the Whitney, a piece on architecture, a piece on music, and a piece on dance. Um, I think the, the best thing about NYC arts over the past six years is that we've been able to promote over 600 arts organizations Amazing. in the tri-state area, big and small, the Met Museum, uh, the, the tenant, Frick, the Frick, Frick, or as small as the Tenant Museum on the Lower East Side. We do do a lot of visual arts, and the best part about it is these pieces live on our website. So if you missed a few years back the Alexander McQueen exhibition at the Met, you can go on our website and you can see it. You can see it in a in a tour by the curator. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting these private curator tours and exposure to a lot of things that you wouldn't normally be able to get out and see. Lovely, lovely. So we're very, we are very proud of it, and I hope people watch it. If you if you like the arts, all different types of arts, you know, you get it in the magazine style doses. But the real holiday treat for me is going to be the Wars of the Roses. Uh, these are three Shakespeare plays. 
and this is a follow-up to four earlier Shakespeare plays presented under the Hollow Crown title. And yeah, it's complicated, so I should okay. probably you, you should probably do explain it. that. Okay. But it's actually the perfect series of plays for people that have difficult family holidays. Right. <laughs> Christmas night with Richard III. Because you kill each other off, you know, and, or you'd like to kill each other yeah, off. it's great. It's Therapeutic. Also, it's also after a difficult election season, I think it's an appropriate play because heads do roll. Heads do roll. Serious. But to tell you that, I have to tell you this. Um, this all started when we started to reintroduce drama and the great performances. My idea was one of the areas that wasn't being done with Shakespeare. And particularly as arts education disappears in schools, there's less and less of it in schools. So I wanted to do a lot of the plays, but do them with extensive educational outreach. And I thought it'd be a nice fit for us. And the other thing that I wanted to do was not because I was focusing on a younger audience. When I say younger audience, I don't mean, you know, elementary school kids. I think you're talking high school, college, and other millennials. That the most important thing would be, as we discussed earlier about all the scripted drama out there, to do them as films. And we've kind of gradually, you know, worked our way into that. We did... Um, with one of the first ones we did was uh, King Lear with Ian McKellen. And that was a production that had come to the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Mm-hmm. And that production was done in the old theater in America style. It was taken and put into a, a studio. And it's, it's easier and but more. But it had, had more of a theater stage <laughs> feel. Theater stage feel, but what was... It's, it's interesting. It's more cost-effective if you have the cast that's been playing it and they've learned it and you can do what they say a lot of pages Mm -hmm. in one day so that was the first and then um we did a hamlet with david tennant who was a doctor who and that was an rsc production uh greg doran uh, the director who runs the rsc but it was taken outside and moved in location and had a combination of stage elements and location. So we're, we, you know, we're taking baby steps there. And then there was one that uh, I had seen Patrick Stewart's Macbeth. And I thought it was a Macbeth. On, it came to Broadway. It originated in Chichester in England, but it came to Broadway. And I went backstage to, to meet Patrick Stewart. And he was, and he was actually, he ended up, uh, being a part of the Hamlet. But at this point, I went to see him, and he knew I was coming and who I was. And I walked in the door, and he said, I know who you are, and I'm not going to do this damn thing on television. I don't believe in television. You want to give me $5 million, I'll make a big film, but, you know, I, I only believe theater should be for 300 people wow. in an audience. And, you know, there, there are actors that feel that way, and Ed Harris was the same way, and now he's happy with the way... The thing was the thing was shot. So it ended up he, he had a good experience in another in the Hamlet film that we did in the meantime, so he softened up. And that's one that we commissioned and it was done uh, on location at a very unique place up in Sherwood Forest, where there was this duke that was we don't know if he was what do you call it, agrophobic where you know, if you're exposed to the sun, you have skin issues, whatever. This guy was so crazy 
that he built a series of tunnels. He didn't want to be outside. He built a two-mile tunnel to get his carriage from his house to the train to be put on a train and taken to London, taken off, and he'd go to his London house. So there was all this underground stuff and decay. And the Macbeth sort of had this Russian, Eastern, European, Stasi Mm -hmm. aspect to it. And, And it had the largest ballroom in England, but it was underground. So this is this crazy place that we were able to do it film style, but again, because all the actors had worked together and trained, knew their parts, you could do it more efficiently and more pages. Uh, the director of the Macbeth and also of the film was a very talented man whose recent musical was American Psycho, but, you know, kind of pushes things to the edge. And we were having a screening for Macbeth at the Paris Theater. To, to premiere it here in New York. And at the party afterwards, he said, you know, I've been approached about doing Richard II, which is rarely done, by Sam Mendes, who has this idea. Another theater director. Yes, who has this idea to put together the history plays. Particularly, uh, it was close to the Olympic year and the Olympics in London to kind of celebrate British history and this bloody road to the crown. And he, Sam was thinking about trying to do it with HBO. Rupert Gold told Sam, we had a great experience with, with great performances. You should talk to them. We got together, laid out the plan. I think, honestly, HBO wasn't as interested. So we were able to come in with uh, Sam Mendes and his company, his, his partners, in the first series of history plays, which was titled... The Hollow Crown. And The Hollow Crown was Richard II. Very interesting play done in in verse, more verse than some of the other plays. Uh, Henry IV, part one and two uh, with Jeremy Irons. And then a very big movie star now who was just bursting on the scene, Tom Hiddleston, who played Henry V. And that was a very successful series for us. So Sam wanted to continue, of course, with the success. So the the next idea was to do Henry the Sixth and Richard the Third. Mm-hmm. Now Henry the Sixth, which there's recent news attributing some of the co-writing to Christopher Marlowe. Yes. There are three of them. I had always thought there were two, but there are three. They've been adapted as two many times. Yeah, they've been adapted, but they're too long and very dense and difficult plays. So the concept here was to go one step further and really make television films. So what we have here is Henry VI, part one and two, reduced two-hour teleplays, and then Richard III is the final two-hour installment. And that, of course, Richard III is Benedict Cumberbatch. So Benedict Cumberbatch appears as the young Richard, and he appears at the tail end as a shadow coming through the door in episode one. Yes. And then he takes flight in episode two and, of course, becomes a very crazy and menacing Richard III. Uh, Christmas night. On like Christmas night, you. yes. Well, I think it's I think it's appropriate. And it starts on the 11th of December, I believe. So yes. that's three Sunday nights. Three Sunday nights, nine o'clock, normally where one would see Masterpiece. So it's more British drama, but, you know, historical. I, I've, seen, I've seen much of it, and it has this wonderful, again, you mentioned... Uh, the filmic uh, cinematic quality, and these are really complete 
different uh, films. Yeah, well, you can't. You can do things that you can't do on the stage. When you go on the stage and you see some of these sword fights, and oh, the battle, you know, takes place off stage, and you hear a couple of cannons, you see the battles. And when somebody needs their head cut off, you see the head cut off. Yeah, yeah. And we need to burn Joan of Arc at the stake. She's toasting. She's toasting. Yeah. And so it makes it a lot more real. I think that, again, you know, for millennials, it may not have a lot of Shakespearean experience, particularly in history. Now, I'm not a Game of Thrones person, but I've been told that much of this material was sort of co-opted by the folks who put together Game of Thrones, and they have their own version of these plays in the Game of Thrones. So this might be uh, appealing to Game of Thrones aficionados. I would, yes, absolutely. The only thing that's missing is the... Well, there's one sort of controversial scene that we have with Margaret and Somerset. Mm-hmm. Um which, when it originally aired in England, was a little bit controversy, but we don't have that thing that HBO likes to do. I felt with these plays particularly, when you get to Richard III, again, it's 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 known independently. It's uh, probably one of the most popular roles for, for actors. Everyone wants to play Richard III. But now you understand why Queen exactly. Margaret is exactly. so angry and so crazy. No, and, and it leads up to that. And, and the contrast with, with that I feel with the character of Henry VI, who I guess is portrayed many times as kind of a bumbling dunderhead. Yeah. But in this production, you really feel his pain. He's almost a Christ-like figure in a, in a way because he's so gentle and kind and loving and uh, not believing in much of the revenge and bloodshed. So the setup for the Richard III is so strong that it, that it makes it work great. Well, he's kind of, you know, following in the line, he kind of a little bit of like uh, a Ben Wishaw mm-hmm. who played Richard II, you know, who was a very effeminate king. Yeah. You know, and he had difficulty dealing with you know, a lot of the aggression. But the thing with uh, Henry VI, uh, Tom Sturridge, who's a very young actor. Who's, terrific. Who's just uh, terrific. A lot smaller in person than he looks as, okay. <laughs> looks on film, which is the way it always is yeah. with actors is, yeah. is sometime. But he he was king when he was very young. So he, he had no choice. He had no chance to grow into it. Um, he's relying early on on, you know, Gloucester. Right. Who in this production is played by those familiar uh, to Downton Abbey, uh, Hugh, Hugh Bonneville. Of course. Hugh Bonneville. Never hurts to have familiar face there. somebody from yeah. Downton Abbey. We're going to have one <laughs> on, on a, every show we on do. A, on a Sunday, on a Sunday <laughs> evening, especially. Uh, uh, another perhaps more joyous, uh, openly joyous event is also being planned for Christmas. And this is a production that the Royal Shakespeare Company did called Shakespeare Live. Uh, and I know nothing about that. What 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 happens there? We we are fortunate to have a, a relationship with uh, Gregory Doran, who's the artistic director and directs a lot of plays, including the Hamlet that we have that you can still see online at the RSC. Uh, they came to us and said, "Well, you know, we we want to do a big gala to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death, Earlier which everybody this year, yeah. every in April, 30, everybody knows 30, 30. when he died." Yeah. Nobody knows when he was born, but they think it's the same day. It, it's or the, same the same or time. close. So yeah. they wanted to do a celebration. And it's, it was a very hard show to conceive and do because how do you make something entertaining when you have 
little bits of monologue. So they came up with a lot of ideas. Of course, they have musical theater things in there. Our version of Brush Up Brush Shakespeare, Shakespeare, unfortunately, was cut. I, you know, it's a major disappointment to me. They do some of the sonnets, the songs. Mm-hmm. There's dance in it as well, inspired, you know, Romeo and Juliet, obviously. And a lot of big stars, you know, Helen Mirren, Judy Dench, again, Benedict Cumberbatch, the man who's everywhere. And a very, very hilarious sequence about to be or not to be. Terrific. That includes a different take on to be or not to be with many famous actors, including Ian McKellen, and a special appearance by some royalty at the end. Oh, great. Who teaches everybody how to really say the speech. Wonderful. The I'm monologue. Looking... So, so that's you know, there's, there, there's seriousness and there's fun. So that's Shakespeare Live on, Shakespeare on Live. Christmas, Christmas afternoon. Uh, any other theater coming up soon? I know you've done Gypsy recently, uh, another uh, yes, Gypsy production. Yes, Gypsy aired recently. Uh, one that I'm really excited about, and if you truly love music theater, you have to love She Loves Me. Uh, Sheldon Harnick, who's still chugging along at 93. Yes. We interviewed him last spring when he had uh, Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway, which is still running, about to close. But at the same time, they were about to start up previews for She Loves Me. And it's done by the Roundabout Theater. And what's great about the Roundabout is it's a nonprofit, but with the old Studio 54 as their major theater. It's a very large theater. And it's a large theater that has the best acoustics mm-hmm. I've ever heard. And a lot of people probably don't realize that Studio 54 was built as an opera house. Oh. The studio was purchased, uh, the, the theater space, by CBS. And they did radio shows there, ultimately doing some television shows. When I was in there, I was having a discussion with the great conductor of all of Sondheim's musical, Paul, Paul Gemignani. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it that, you know, even though there's sound amplification, you would never know. And the orchestra is split in different sides of the balcony, but it just feels like everything has this natural acoustic. But getting back to what's so great about it is that Roundabout, because they do short runs, but in a Broadway-style production, the set Mm. for this thing is magnificent, is they can get Laura Benanti, you know, Zach Levy, Jane Krakowski, talent like that to commit to a run and talent like that that commits to a run they, they don't believe me they're not doing it for the money they're doing it for the love of musical theater sure and the other thing they love about it is to ultimately have a record so we've taped that and it's going to air in the spring on great performances and there are a lot more musicals to come you have a great team of people many of whom you've worked with for a long long time tell me a little bit about the folks you work with here Well, I think that, you know, we're all lucky to be in public television. Public television has always been this fragile thing. I've been here since 1979, and a lot of people said we were going to be dead on multiple occasions. Remember when there was going to be this 500-channel universe, though nobody nobody told anybody there were going to be 500 channels you didn't want to watch, (laughs) that we'd be able to survive and, and... the, the biggest reasons are the people that have come here. And they're 
people that came here weren't really television professionals. They came from a lot of different walks of life and certain expertise. So I've been lucky to have, you know, over the years, people that know a lot about dance and ballet. Uh, Joan Hershey, who also is the editorial director of uh, NYC Arts, um, that's her passion. She knows a lot about it, way more than I do, even though my wife had been a, a ballet dancer. I'm, you know, I don't claim to be an expert. Uh, John Walker, who's been around with me for a long time. I guess we're all getting pretty old. <laughs> that's what we're saying. He was a musical assistant for Leonard Bernstein, so he's very expertise in that area. And my series producer, Bill O'Donnell, uh, was a film major. And so he's a terrific writer, and he has a bigger passion for theater, and he helps me more in the theater area. And, you know, people with production expertise that help us, because not only do we go in and we record productions, we build a lot of things from scratch, concerts in Central Park, concerts on a farm in Tuscany, and Mitch Gang is really expert in throwing those kind of productions together. And all of us have been together for, for quite some time, so we, we know what to do. It makes it easier. It makes it more efficient. And everybody has their different specialty, and we all chip in. Yeah. I know one show that you can talk about coming up is uh, very much a tradition of great performances, and it's on New Year's Day. And it features the lovely Julie Andrews. And I believe this year is featuring uh, Gustavo Dudamel, the dynamic uh, conductor. Yes, it's interesting. The, uh, the Vienna Philharmonic, which is a self-governing orchestra, doesn't have a music director. So it's an honor when the Vienna Philharmonic invites you to conduct. And we've had many great conductors over the years. And it's the first time for Dudamel, who's appeared on great performances quite a bit, the New Year's concert is special to me because it was something that was popular around the world in 1985 when we first did it. And we said, why can't we make this a New Year's Day tradition? It's not a New Year's Eve show. It's a New Year's Day show, which when you're making it means you have to get up in the morning <laughs> after you've had a party on, Limits on your New celebrating Year's celebrating options. And we, we originated it with, of course, uh, Walter Cronkite, who did it for almost 25 years. And he loved Vienna. He loved. He had been there as a correspondent when it was divided into four quadrants. He loved the third man, and we always have to have the third man music played by some zither band. <laughs> when Walter passed away, we were tossing around ideas, and who else has a great connection to Vienna other than Julie Andrews? And I had a relationship going back with Julie when, when I did her one-woman show back in 1989. And, of course, we did Victor Victoria. Uh, She's and, been a big part I, of our family And here. I directed a biography on her, on, on her life, her very interesting life story. And she hosted our Broadway, the American Musicals series, because she was very, very interested in the, in the history of, of music theater. So she's just... A tremendous lady. David, uh, this has gone by so fast. Again, it's been great to have you here, and we look forward to watching The Wars of the Roses beginning on December 11th at 9 p.m., three successive Sunday evenings. And don't forget an evening with Dr. Strange, also known as Benedict Cumberbatch, in the winter of his discontent on Christmas night. 
Ah, my kingdom for a horse. Brush. Like that? Okay. Up. Your Shakespeare. <laughs> Thanks, David. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can hear more from David about great performances and his multifaceted career in an episode of WNET Up Next we recorded in December of 2015. Thanks a lot for listening, and be with us again soon for our next edition. Get in touch with us at upnext at wnet.org with your questions and comments, and do subscribe. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.